Well, we sure are glad that you're here this morning to celebrate Super Sunday with us, and we hope that it is genuinely a, an incredible day for you. Uh, no matter what your team is, uh, whether you're pulling for the Broncos or the Panthers or your team like mine hadn't been there for a long time, um, or we just need to pray for your team, uh, hopefully it would be a good day. Somebody was giving me a hard time in the first service that I had my jacket on over top of my Eagles jersey, and they said, if I was an Eagles fan, I'd wear a jacket over it too. <laughs> so... Uh, but I told him, I said, well, I'm wearing a fellow preacher's jersey. Irving Fryer is a preacher. Reggie White was a preacher. And now the offensive coordinator of the Eagles is also a preacher. And so I'm going to pray, pray the prayer of Jabez for him that God would expand his territory, especially into Indian and cowboy territory, and that they would slay the giants. So, <laughs> so uh, I don't think he'll need to do any miracles for that either, by the way. So uh, we'll be good. Another funny athletic note, yesterday we were playing upward basketball and uh, our team played James the drummer's team and as the referees were just reminding us of why we do upward uh, and not to give the referees a hard time because we were out here to glorify Jesus, they said, hey, I just want to ask you what would Jesus do? And so under my breath, I wasn't really going to say it, but I said it to him afterwards. I said, well, what Jesus would do is he would heal the blind. I'll let that sink in later on for y'all. And so one of the referees came up to me at halftime, and uh, he was reminding me that Jesus did heal the blind, Dave, and he gave me a pair of glasses. So, Well, we're excited that you're here today and looking forward to uh, the game tonight. And when you look at the game tonight, it should be a pretty good matchup. The Panthers are favored to win by four, uh, but the, the Broncos have the number one defense in the league. And so it should be ought to be a pretty good matchup when you look at these guys. And, but when you really look at football, football is really pretty much like life if you think about it. Now you might be thinking I have a few screws loose and I know I've proven that over the last two years, but really the goal in football is to what? Get the ball in the end zone and they keep the ball out of the end zone from the defensive side. But the whole goal that they're trying to do is to accomplish those things. And in life, have you ever asked yourself the question, what's the whole purpose of life? What's the goal of life? The reality is this, however you answer that question, will set the course of your life forever? It's a rather important question to ask. And so this morning, I want us to look at, from God's Word, what His Word says ought to be the purpose of our life. And so if I may just use the words of Paul to say that it is to win the prize. If you're going to play the game, play the game to win. See, a lot of people go into life with a certain perspective of what the purpose of life is, what the goal of life is to achieve fame or to achieve money or to achieve certain relationships, thinking that, that hey, that's my goal. You can have the wrong goal and it lead to destruction. So let me give you an example. If Cam Newton tonight were to reveal that he has had this life's dream to play in the Super Bowl as a kid, however, that his dream as a kid wasn't to play as a quarterback, it was to play as a wide receiver. And so he were to decide that I'm not going to play quarterback tonight. In fact, I'm going to switch spots with either Ted, Ted Ginn or uh, Olsen, and I'm going to be a wide receiver or a tight end. What do you think would the results of the game be tonight? They still... <laughs> Can you pan the camera over here? Uh, they might still win anyway, but they're, they're probably going up the, against the number one defense in the league. It'd probably be a disaster. 
And so we can have goals in life that no matter how good they are, if you have the wrong goal, it may lead you and probably will lead you to absolute disaster. And so the way you answer that question is of utmost importance. But Paul says, if you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, what Paul says, he says, run to win. And in this verse, he says, do you not know that in a race that all the runners run? But only one gets the prize. You see, back in those days, uh, there, there was no second place or third place deal. It was only whoever came across the finish line first got a crown. It would have been a wreath that was made that wouldn't last forever. In fact, much like these flowers up here, it would eventually start to wither. So Paul says this, uh, run in such a way that you may win. Run in such a way that you may attain it. And he goes on to explain that every athlete who goes into training exercises self-control in all things, not just in their event, but in all things, and they are only doing it to receive a perishable wreath. But he says this, but we do it to receive an imperishable wreath. Paul is saying run to win. And what he means by that, run in such a way that one day, like John Roby, that you will be able to be standing in heaven with God for all of eternity. Anything else that's less than that is failure. And so I want to take our time this morning to talk about that, to talk about how do we run to win, and look at another portion of Scripture in 1 Timothy where Paul is really pouring into Timothy and wanting him to understand what he needs to do in order to win, to attain the prize to which God has called him with. And he warns him of some distractions that come along the way. And in the end, he's saying, I want you to continue to fight in such a way so that you will win. And so the first thing I want us to look at, if you'll turn with me to, to 1 Timothy, is that Paul says to run in such a way to win in 1 Corinthians. But in, in 1 Timothy, he says this. He said, I want you to fight the good fight. Now, we can watch the game tonight and look at the game and watch the game for the few hours that's there. And we know these guys are in great shape, and, but few will ever understand the amount of time that these guys have put in to get to this game tonight. And I'm not just talking about what's taken place in this last week, but in their lifetime of all the hours they have put in to achieve the athletic uh, positions that they have. Now, I was just a peon. You know, but even in college, when I was competing, I put in eight hours a day in training on top of everything else, and I was just a low-level athlete. These guys are putting in two workouts a day. They're in the, in the room watching game film. They're strategizing the rest of the day and coming up with this game plan that they hope to execute on the field tonight. And what Paul is saying that the same is true of us. We need to fight the good fight. We need to be willing to put in the time and effort according to what God says so that we can do what he's calling us to do. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, here's what Paul says. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Take hold of it. This word fight that Paul uses is an interesting word and it specifically refers to athletes and soldiers that are engaged in a battle to continue fighting. We actually get our word agonize out of it. That is this ongoing process that you just don't give up because if you do, it leads to defeat and destruction. And so Paul is trying to encourage Timothy to do that and he's trying to encourage us to also watch out because there's going to be many, many distractions. 
And so just as the game tonight where the offense will try to distract the defense by putting guys in motion and, and changing the fronts and the sets that they have so that the defense is guessing what to do. And the defense does the same thing, right? They bring guys up to the line to make it look like they're going to blitz and send everybody, but then they drop back in the coverage hoping that the quarterback will throw it across the middle and not see one of the defenders and he can pick it off. You know, the enemy does the same thing in our lives where he is seeking to distract us. And, and to pull us away, thinking that we're even doing good. I don't know if you're big into football, uh, but back in the Rose Bowl, in, back in 1929 on New Year's Day, when Georgia Tech was playing the University of California, probably the weirdest thing in all of football history happened. And so you guys watch this clip and see if you can figure out what took place. In celebration of the 100th Rose Bowl game of memory. The most famous play by a center in Rose Bowl history led to defeat for his team. In the 1929 game, Cal's Roy Regals recovered a fumble and ran 65 yards the wrong way before a teammate wrestled him to the ground at the one. A blocked punt led to a safety, an 8-7 Georgia Tech win, and a dubious place in history for Roy Regals. The 100th Rose Bowl game. Now, what do you think Roy Regals was thinking when he got that ball, he picked it up and was running towards that end zone? He's thinking, I'm going to win this game for us. He had no clue he was running in the wrong direction. And so one of his teammates finally tackled him, only to realize and eventually lose the game because of that play. Now, it might be funny to watch that happen, but here's the reality. Many people are running in the wrong direction, and they have no clue, and they think they're on the path to success. Our job as the church is not to tell them that they're running the wrong way. Our job as the church is to come alongside them and love on them in such a way that one day we will have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them so that God can do the convicting, that God will lead them into righteousness. As Pastor P was sharing, you know, somebody shared the gospel and he heard it and he confessed to Jesus Christ. But many, many, many are being distracted by the enemy and are running full bore in the wrong direction and is going to lead to defeat and destruction. And so Paul is trying to warn Timothy, again in chapter 6, looking at verses 9 and 10, it says this, he says, you know, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You know, Paul is specifically referring to money here and some other things that, you know, the enemy so slyly puts things into our lives, help making us think that if we just had this or just had a little bit more, that our lives would be full of purpose and meaning. I don't know if you've ever done a study on those who win the lottery and what happens to them afterwards, but the suicide rate for those that win the lottery is incredibly high. Why? Because they think that that's going to change their lives only to find out that it doesn't. It's easy to get distracted from what God says. It's easy for us to miss out on what God has for us, you know, and to go down paths that lead to destruction. And so Paul was trying to warn Timothy not to get distracted. He's trying to talk to him about some of the things and say, don't get pulled away you know, that from what God has. Because you know why? 
God has provided within the pages of the book that make up his word, the Bible, everything that we need to live a life of meaning and purpose. It's not the life of meaning and purpose that our culture in America wants you to believe. It's a life of meaning and purpose that he has designed in our DNA for us to, to be able to live. The abundant life is not abundance in finances. It's not abundance of fame. It's abundance that comes from this inner peace of knowing that we are Jesus Christ so that you can say as Pastor P that, you know, I don't fear my death because I know exactly where I'm going to be. They can beat me. They can do whatever they want to me. But you know what? If they take me out, guess what? I get to go where John is today, to be in glory with God for all of eternity. Yet many, many people don't have that sense of peace. Many, many people don't even realize how close that peace is to them. Back in Super Bowl 37, if you're one of the commercial guys that likes to watch the commercials in Super Bowl 37, you may remember that uh, it was the same year that the movie Castaway had come out the year before. And so they had a commercial, FedEx had a commercial, they were kind of spoofing the movie Castaway, and so God, it was dressed like Tom Hanks was, all disheveled and clothes beat up, hair and beard and everything, has the package. And so they're delivering the package to the door after all this time. Some of you are smiling because you remember the commercial, right? And the guy goes, ma'am can you just tell me what's in the package? And so she tears the package. Oh, well, it's nothing really. It's just a satellite phone and, you know, a compass and some seeds. Everything that he would have needed to survive and be rescued was in the box. And he never opened it. Guess what? Everything people need to survive is within the pages of this book. And many people have never opened it. We need to, as the church, build relationships with people so that we can earn the opportunity to share what's in the pages of this book and what it's done in our lives and the transformation that's taken place in our lives so that they stop running in the wrong way. And they hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they can live victoriously. So Paul is understanding these things and he's, he, tells, he tells Timothy, brother, son, flee the opposition. You did, the enemy is going to be after you. I want you to flee opposition. Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. He says, listen, be sober-minded and be watchful because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. If you're a, you love defense, you know, it, you know tonight, in tonight's game, and, and the Broncos have an incredible defense. You know, and sometimes linebackers just love crossing routes. They would love for Cam or for, you know, Peyton to throw this route over the middle so that when that poor little receiver comes in, they knock him in the next Tuesday and knock the ball in. That's what they live for. That's what they want to do. They want to hit him so hard, not maliciously, but they want to knock the ball out, and it just pumps him up. Well, I want you to understand this. That as much as a defender wants to do that to the offensive players in tonight's game, the enemy wants to do so much more and worse to you. He wants to take you out. You know, and when you are walking with the Lord, the enemy will do everything he can to sidetrack you. Matter of fact, if you have never really experienced that, you're probably not really walking with the Lord. But in my experience, when you start walking with the Lord, then literally all hell breaks loose against you to try to keep you from walking with the Lord, to sidetrack you, to lead you down paths of destruction. And so Paul is reminding Timothy to be alert. In verse 11, this is what he says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. 
and instead pursue righteousness and godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue these other things. Pursue godliness. Why on earth would he tell Timothy to pursue godliness? If you go back to verse 6, it tells you why. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. Yet our culture tells us so much different. Our culture doesn't tell you that godliness will lead to contentment and give you incredible gain. It tells you just the opposite. And so Paul is telling Timothy that we need to fight a good fight, that we need to flee the opposition of the enemy. And finally, he tells them, well, you need to finish the fight. You need to finish the course. You need to keep the faith. Look at verse 12 and following. Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is imploring Timothy and us as well as we read the words of God to fight the good fight you know, he didn't say it was going to be this cakewalk. He uses the word fight. It's just going to be this ongoing battle, this spiritual warfare. The enemy is going to throw distractions your way. You know, there's some of you that are even here this morning that you have yet to really understand what we're even talking about. You know, that this relationship with Jesus, it, it doesn't even make sense to you. And even right now, I would expect that this, the enemy is putting things in your mind that you want to do this afternoon, and you're even having a hard time focusing on what we're talking about. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle battle. And the things that are going on in your mind right now are very much proof that it is a spiritual battle. Because when God begins to speak, you know, the enemy can't read our mind, but he knows from the past when start, things start happening in a person's life that he needs to get in there and he needs to sidetrack them and derail them. Because if he doesn't, then they're going to turn on fire for God. They're going to be able to say, you know what, ever since I came to faith in Christ, I can't keep quiet. You know what, and people even threaten my life and I don't care. That's the abundant life that God is talking about. Years ago, there was a guy that was searching for his family roots, and he was going around trying to do some research, and, and he would go to cemetery to cemetery to cemetery, and, and he used to read the, the stones, and on one he said this. He's, he's, he saw engraved on a tombstone this. He said, pause now, stranger, as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, soon you will be. Prepare yourself to follow me. He thought that rather interesting. As he looked down to the bottom of that gravestone, he saw it written on a piece of wood this, to follow you, I am not content until I know which way you went. One day, we'll all die. That's a fact. And the, just as there'll be one team that wins tonight and one team that loses tonight, when we die, we either win or we lose. But it's not that simple because there's eternal consequences. We win. We get to spend eternity with God in heaven. But if we lose, we spend eternity, not just apart from God, but suffering for all eternity. Paul is imploring Timothy to fight the good fight to make sure that he's telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And I know many of us here this morning, we have already got this relationship with Christ, but I know there are some that you're not sure. And so I want to just take the, the last few minutes that we have to share with you how you can have this relationship with Christ. If those of you that already do, I want you just to get out a pen and write the verses down that I use because this is exactly how I share the gospel with people. 
I don't tell them what they need to know. I simply open up my Bible to these passages and I turn around to them and ask them to read this. And I'm going to tell you what I have done because I have a hard time remembering numbers. I would write the next verse up in the top, upside down to them and right side up to me so I knew what the next verse was. Is this little cheat sheet for you? But here's the verses. Romans 3.23. I open up my word to them and I have them turn it around and I read it, have them, ask them to read it out loud. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I simply ask them, hey, what does that mean? If they don't understand and they don't get it right, everybody gets this one right though, I just ask them to read it again. And as I've shared before, the most I've ever had to ask somebody to read it out loud again is three times. That's only been on two occasions. God's word is living and powerful. It can speak for itself. I don't need to say a thing. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. And we've fallen short of the glory of God. Next verse is Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I asked him, what does that mean? Well, we've all earned death, but Jesus has given us this free gift of eternal life for him, of salvation to pay the penalty for our sins. Then Romans 5.8 is the next one. And it says this, that God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Matter of fact, he died before any one of us was born, knowing all the sins that we would commit. And then Romans 10, 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes is unjustified, and it is with the mouth that one confesses and is saved. Here's what the Word of God says. If you believe that Jesus was the Son of God who came down here to take on flesh and human form and then was sacrificed on the cross, shed his blood, but then God raised him from the dead. If you believe that in your heart and then you confess it with your mouth, saying, I believe, I believe that God raised him from the dead. I believe that Jesus is Lord. Then just as Pastor Pete testified in 1969 when that happened to him, an overwhelming sense of peace came over him. That he finally found the one and only true God, the only God who can save, the only God who can cover our sin. If you've never done that, in a moment as we have this time of invitation, I want you to come down, meet with our counselors, proclaim to the body that I finally understand and I believe with all my heart that Jesus is God's son, that God raised him from the dead. And here's what this verse says. You will be saved. Not you might be. It says you will be saved. But here's the rest of the verse. When you look at the verses that come after 9 and 10, through 11 through 13, it says this, for the scripture says, everyone who believes will not be put to shame because there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all. He bestows his riches on all who call on his name for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter what your past was. He knew that before he died. He knew all the sins that you commit, and he chose to die in your place already anyway. What the enemy is probably doing for some of you that don't have this relationship yet is saying, you know what? He didn't do it for you. You got too much. Do you hear what these verses are saying? These are not my words. It said, he died for all. 
And he wants to bestow his riches on all. In India, they have caste systems, and, and you can't move from one to the next. And what this verse is saying to everybody in India, it doesn't matter which caste you are in. He is Lord of all. He died for everybody. So in a moment, if you want to make that decision, I, I, I beg you, as Paul would, come and profess that to the Lord so that you can know before you walk out these doors that you are saved, that you have this relationship with Christ. You know, maybe there's some of you here this, this morning that you've got that relationship, but you have been so distracted by the enemy, he has slowly, slowly pulled you away, and you've been going down this path of destruction. And this morning, God's word is saying, hey, it's time to come back. It's time to make this right and walk in righteousness. As Paul said, pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, because godliness produces contentment. And there's one more group of you don't have a relationship with Christ yet. Not sure you believe, but you're curious. And I would encourage you, in the midst of your curiousness, to have the courage to come and allow us to hear your questions and point you in the direction of where you can find the answers to those questions. But the enemy wants to distract. And the enemy wants you to walk out those doors, never to think about it again. We need to fight the good fight. We need to flee from the opposition. And we need to finish the faith. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for who you are. We are so grateful for your word. We are so grateful for the gospel and the power it has to transform, the power it has to heal, the power that it has to give us victory over sin through the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray right now that your Spirit would be speaking, that your Spirit would convict and guide and lead us into all truth. And Lord, that if there's those here that aren't sure about this relationship with Jesus, that your Spirit would be guiding them right now. Lord, that your Spirit would be talking to them, that they would understand the difference between the, the voice that comes from you and the voice that leads to destruction. God, that they would come to faith in you this morning. Lord, for those of us that have been distracted and we have deviated from what it is that you have us do, God, bring us back. Allow us to feel your arms of forgiveness around us. And Lord, lead us back into paths of righteousness for your sake, for your glory, for your kingdom forever and ever. In Jesus' name.